Well, good morning, and it is good to be with you. Let's see how many of you are aware of a traditional Easter greeting. It goes like this. You say, he is risen. risen Not bad. Okay, so for those of you that did not know that, let's try it one more time. He is risen. Fantastic. Well, happy Easter to all of you, and we are so glad that you've come to worship with us at Gospel Hope. And this really is a momentous occasion for us for, for a few reasons. First of all, as Rod alluded to, I don't, has there ever been a time where we both wore jacket, tie, both at the same time? Never? Never? Okay, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll get a jacket, sometimes a tie, but both of us with jacket and tie, I mean, just mark this down on your calendar, folks, just something to celebrate. And pocket square. There it is. All right. Okay. Very good. Second, man, do you know, uh, those of you that are new to Gospel Hope or haven't been around very much, just two years ago, right about this time, we were having our very first service right up the road at Avondale Elementary School. And just, man, what a joy it's been to be a part of what the Lord is doing here in our neighborhood. And for those of you that are new to us or visiting with us today, man, we are so glad that you could come and celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And that is really the most important reason why this is a momentous occasion for us, that Christ is risen. Uh, We're going to wrap up our series here this morning called In Our Place. And we've been talking about this idea that Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And today we celebrate that Jesus was risen victoriously in our place. So one more time, he is risen. risen We pray with me as we ask for the Lord's help before we look at his word this morning. Lord, we love you. And we are grateful for the opportunity to celebrate what your son did. Lord, I pray today that you would give us fresh eyes to see the importance, the beauty, the glory of the resurrected Christ. Lord, whether we have walked with the Savior a long time or whether we're just investigating the claims of Jesus, I pray today that the resurrection would matter to us, that we would see that Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection are the most important events in human history. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Help us now. Amen. I have a little exercise for you as we get started. Take your cell phone out right now. Everybody take your cell phone out. Everybody got it? Just Hold it up in the air for a minute and look around the room. Everybody look around the room. Hold up your cell phone and look around the room. Isn't that amazing? Everybody came in here carrying a little pocket computer, right? Now, now I say this because cell phones have become ubiquitous. Anybody remember the first time that they saw a cell phone? Man, I was in, um, I was in middle school and I was working at a car wash And one of these fancy, I think it was a Mercedes or something, comes rolling into the car wash. And what we would do at the beginning of the car wash, we'd vacuum out the seats. And man, we we got the vacuums out. And I remember sticking my head in there and started to vacuum. And I was like, there's a phone in their car. What is this, the Batmobile? You know, I'm like, guys, come on over. So like our whole crew is like huddled around looking at this phone. And remember when cell phones first came out, they were like this monstrosity. I mean, you had the bag phone, then you had the brick phone. It it, it is staggering to imagine that about 25 years later, 
the cell phone has completely reshaped the way that we interact with the world. Think about the technologies that the cell phone has displaced. Pay phones. I saw a pay phone the other day. I was like, who uses that? A pay phone. Maps and atlases. How many of you own a map? I mean, very few because we, we don't. Okay, you get, what's your problem? It's Tyler. Like, what is wrong with you? You're young. What? Right, it's a hiking map. Okay, all right, all right. Um, newspapers. I mean, where do you get your news today? Generally, at least I do, you know, I look it up on my phone. Video cameras. Remember the phenomenon of camcorders? I mean, who has a camcorder, anybody? No no one, because you pop out your cell phone. And even to a degree, cameras. Encyclopedias. The encyclopedia has virtually become obsolete because of the cell phone. You know what? I was thinking about this the other day. We don't ask questions anymore. We just ask Siri. Like, if you hear a song on the radio and you're like, I wonder who, who sung that? Or you see an actor in a movie and you're like, man, who is that? What was he in before? We used to like puzzle over that for days. Now it's like instantaneous. Siri, who is that actor and what did he play in before? Boom! You have a list of everything. And books. The cell phone has even displaced books. And dare I say, the Bible. How many of you have a physical Bible here today? How many of you have a cell phone Bible here today? <laughs> cell phones win. What is more? I can deposit a check with my phone. I can track the location of my entire family with my phone. I know where you are, son. Even though you have your driver's license, I am watching at all times. I can check the weather. I can even pay for things with my phone. Soon we won't even need wallets. Although 25 years ago, we could have never imagined it. For better or for worse, the cell phone has significantly reshaped our reality. So where am I going with this? As profound as an influence as the cell phone has had on us, in Luke 24, we read about an even weightier event. Of course, on this Easter Sunday, I am referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without hesitation, I can say that the resurrection quite literally changes everything. If you haven't been with us in our series the last couple weeks in our place, let me kind of just bring you up to speed. Luke chapter 22 ended with Jesus betrayed by a friend abandoned by his disciples, and falsely arrested and tried by the religious leaders. And it only gets worse in chapter 23. Though Jesus was guilty of no wrong, he is tried, sentenced, and eventually executed in the most shameful of ways. And Luke 22 closes with the dark note of Jesus' body being, being buried in a borrowed tomb. If Luke's gospel concluded there, it would be in the running for the worst ending ever. The worst ending ever. And I'm talking about like worse than Infinity War. See what I did there? Yeah. But fortunately for us, it's not the last chapter. There's one more. Luke 23 is followed by Luke 24. And oh, what a chapter it is. For in it we learn that not only Jesus rose from the dead, but we begin to see why that resurrection is so important. Listen to this statement carefully. The resurrection is not just a theological abstraction, but a paradigm-shifting reality. Or to put it very plainly, 
it changes everything. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead changes everything. Suppose somehow I got a hold of a switch and you just threw that switch. And when that switch was turned off, gravity in the universe switched off. If I flip that switch, would the world in which we live be changed? You better believe it. I mean, everything about us would be influenced by gravity or the lack thereof. In one very real sense, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like gravity. It affects that much of our existence. The resurrection works its way into the very nooks and crannies of our life and impacts the way we interact with the world. In fact, Paul, the philosopher theologian of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 wrestles with that very idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he was raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this world only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. In other words, Paul is saying the resurrection is a big honking deal. It matters if Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection is not simply a happy ending to a children's story. It's not simply an excuse for another holiday. It's not just a topic for debate among theologians. No, if we take what the Bible says seriously, then the resurrection of Christ is on the short list of the most significant events in the whole of human history. To put it plainly, the resurrection matters. And that's where we're going this morning. I want to convince you if you're not already convinced or make you feel even more deeply if you already do feel this, simply this. We must believe that the resurrection matters. I want you to walk out of here this morning believing with all of your heart that the resurrection of Jesus Christ matters deeply to your existence. So why should it be such a big deal? Why? I mean, I don't just want that to happen. I want to convince you of that, Lord willing, from this text in Luke chapter 24. And fortunately for us, we don't have to guess or speculate because in this passage of scripture, as the story of the resurrection of Jesus is told, we are given some bedrock reasons why the resurrection matters. So can I talk to you about just three of them this morning? Three reasons why the resurrection matters and why it should matter to you. So if you're taking notes, number one is simply this. The resurrection was an event of victory. As we said, Luke 23 ends with Jesus buried in a borrowed tomb. Then chapter 24 opens with this scene. Look at verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, speaking of some women, went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But then when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So early Sunday morning, this company of women who had followed Jesus went to the tomb to embalm the body, basically. But to their surprise, the tomb was empty. The body was nowhere to be found. Then something utterly shocking happened. Verse number four. While they were perplexed about this, behold... Two men, not Rod and Ryan, stood by them in dazzling apparel. Understandably, the women were terrified by the sudden appearance of these men, who we soon learn are not mere mortals. 
They're angels. And then these divine heralds delivered their astounding message. Verse number five. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. This is one of the most significant declarations in the whole Bible. And to the angels, it's basically a foregone conclusion. Why would you come to the tomb? Jesus is not here, obviously. Don't you understand who he is? Why are you even here? Because the angels understood the identity of Jesus, there was an inevitability to the resurrection. Like, the resurrection had to happen in their mind. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is obviously not here. Verse number six, remember how he told you, you dumb disciples? Don't you remember? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? The resurrection was simply Jesus doing what he set out to do in the first place. You see, Jesus came to earth, yes, yes, to die for your sins, absolutely, and yes, to deal with the devil. But there was also another enemy that Jesus came to defeat, namely death itself. And the reason that Jesus come is tantamount to that. It's like his work wasn't done until death got whooped. That was the point here. The resurrection had to happen because there was still an enemy standing in the way of his people. And that enemy was death. So Jesus had to prove himself the Lord and conqueror of death itself. And the New Testament makes a big deal out of this. Romans chapter 14, verse number nine. Christ died and lived again. Why? Why did he do that? That he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. John chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus' words himself. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter one, verse number 17. Fear not. Why? Because I'm the first and the last. And the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And get this, and I have the keys to death and Hades. What was Jesus saying in all of that? When Jesus stepped out of the tomb, he declared himself as king over death. And friends, this is good news for you and I. Here's why. I don't mean to be morbid on Easter, but here's the reality. One day, every single one of us will die. One day, death will come for all of us. For some, it will come suddenly. For others, it will be predictable. But for all of us, it will be unavoidable. When that moment of death comes, as it surely will, it is a great comfort to know that we can place our hope in one who beat death at its own game. And as many of you know, this past week, one of our beloved church family, the first in Gospel Hope history, Elder Will, passed away. Quietly, he slipped into an eternity. And as I kind of reflected on the passing of my brother, though my heart is sorrowful, I am grateful that death's touch on Will was just for a moment. For as soon as his body failed him, he was immediately received by the one over whom death has no authority. It matters for us that Jesus rose from the dead because when you take your last breath, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to put your hope in? Are you going to put it in me or Rod standing there at your bedside holding your hand? Man, look elsewhere because I don't have the answer for that problem. 
as much as we love you, as much as we care for you, as much as we long to be good pastors, we are not the ones who hold the keys to death and hell. And guess what, though? We know the one who does. His name is Jesus. And he lived and he died and he rose again to conquer death itself. Do not misunderstand Good Friday is only good news because of Easter Sunday. The crucifixion was critical. It was so important. It, was, it, it, it had to happen. It was indispensable. But the crucifixion alone did not accomplish our salvation. Our salvation with the crucifixion alone was incomplete. But now Jesus has risen and done all that is necessary to rescue us from our final enemy. It is only a matter of time before death itself dies. The sentence has been passed. Death has been prison. Death itself is on death row in one sense. It's just waiting for the execution to be carried out because through his resurrection, Jesus said to death, now you die. Now you are done. I am Lord and sovereign over you. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 25 puts it this way. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that day is coming quick. Man, I grew up in Chicago and uh, during the 80s and 90s. And therefore, I am a die-hard Chicago Bulls fan. Um, That was the heyday of Michael Jordan. And I remember as I was growing up and Michael Jordan came into the league, and it was clear like his rookie season, this guy is going to be a game changer. He has the potential to change a franchise and to take them to the very top. There was a problem, though, when MJ came into the lead, and it was this little team a little bit north of us called the Detroit Pistons, affectionately known, not by me, no affection there, as the bad boys, right? Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Rick Mahorn, Bill Melambier, I mean, they would foul Michael until he bled. First couple years, the Bulls would play the Pistons, and the Pistons just kind of dominated them. But as the Bulls began to build a team around Jordan, and Jordan got better and better, the Bulls started to make progress. So in 1989, the Bulls got to the Eastern Conference Finals against the Detroit Pistons, 4-2 Pistons. Four games to two. It wasn't really a great series. The Pistons dominated. The Bulls snuck a couple victories out. Okay, we'll do it next year. Next year, 1990, Bulls-Pistons, Eastern Conference Finals, again, 4-3. This one going down to game seven. I mean, it was tight. It was a close series, and everybody kind of waited with bated breath saying, all right, Next year is our year, and Michael's going to take the Bulls to the promised land. 1991. Bulls-Pistons, Eastern Conference Final. You know what the series score was? 4-0. Bulls, sweep of the Pistons. Devastated, dominated, annihilated. Take that, Isaiah. (laughs) At that point, it was just kind of a foregone conclusion. Michael Jordan had ascended the throne of the NBA gods, and it was clear that the Bulls would be the team to beat for this foreseeable future. You see, once the last enemy got beaten, 
it was just a matter of time before they asserted their rightful place on the top of the NBA. And the Bulls are still the best team ever, so don't debate this warrior schmoyer stuff, okay? Right? <laughs> the idea is simply this. Once Jesus emerged from that tomb, the last enemy had been destroyed. And it's only a matter of time before we're holding a funeral for death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was an event of victory. In his resurrection, Jesus defeated the undefeatable. Isn't that good news for us? I don't have any power over death. My good friend, Elder Will, had no power over death. But he could reach out his hand and take hold of the one over whom death itself kneeled. He could take hold of the one who could give him life forevermore. And when he breathed his last, he took hold of Jesus Christ. And death shall no more have dominion over him because it doesn't have dominion over Jesus. The resurrection was an event of astounding victory. And that's why it should matter to you. Number two. The resurrection was an event of prophecy. After the women visit the tomb and return to tell the 12, the scene shifts. It goes from these women and then the disciples to these two followers of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. Unsurprisingly, in this day and age, as they're walking, their conversation turns to the death of Christ. And as they're discussing it, a stranger, quote unquote, air quotes there, okay, a stranger comes up and joins them. But this is no ordinary traveler. In reality, it is Jesus himself who has kept his identity hidden for them. And the stranger comes up and asks them. I, I love Jesus in here. He's so coy. Look at verse 17 of chapter number 24. What conversation are you holding with each other? Like he don't know, right? Hey, what you guys talking about? Shocked by the stranger's lack of knowledge, Cleopas, one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, ironically responds with, are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? Then he, very ironically, brings Jesus up to speed on his own death and possible resurrection. Verse number 19, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see so they basically said, okay, this guy, Jesus, we thought he was the son of God. He died. Some of our women went to the tomb. He wasn't there. And then the disciples went and they confirmed it. So he's basically just bringing Jesus up to speed. But then Jesus, it, like if you're Jesus at this point, aren't you like saying like, all right, all right, get to the end, get to the end. Get to the, it's me. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't be like, yeah, they're right. Here I am. Look, I'm alive. Instead, Jesus does something amazingly interesting. He basically rebukes his disciples for not knowing the Bible. Look at verse number 25. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Whoa. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
Then notice what he does. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus tells his disciples, listen guys, you would have known what was going to happen if you just would have read your Old Testament carefully. Then they would have known that he had to die and he had to rise again. Then he proceeded to show him how his death and resurrection were pictured in the Old Testament. Oh, I wish I could have been there for that. It says, beginning with Moses. That's the first five books of the Old Testament. And all the prophets. So he starts at the beginning. And he's like, all right, guys. You didn't know that I was going to die and rise again? Let me show you some examples. Let me show you some examples. I doubt my lesson is going to be as good as Jesus's, But we'll do our best, right? So, Jesus is the seed of the woman who would be wounded as he crushed the head of the serpent on the very first pages of the Bible pictured in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus is the true Isaac who would not just figuratively come back to life, but would ha- who would actually give his life as a sacrifice and then take his life back up again. Jesus is the better Jonah, who after three days did not just emerge from the belly of a fish, but from the belly of the grave itself. Jesus is the suffering servant of of Isaiah, who would be crushed by God, and yet still would see his offspring and prolong his days. The point is simply this, the resurrection of Jesus has always been part of God's plan. When the resurrection happened, it was like God wasn't like, oh, man. Stink, they killed Jesus. What am I going to do now? I mean, that wasn't God's thought at all. The resurrection, brothers and sisters, was always plan A. He was not taken off guard by the religious leaders' plots. He was not taken off guard by Pilate's cowardice, the Roman soldiers' cruelties, or the Jewish mob's bloodlust. The crucifixion was the plan from the beginning for it was a Sorry, for it was a necessary prerequisite to the resurrection. Listen very carefully to this. Easter, this resurrection of Christ has been millennia in the making. God has always planned that the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus be a part of it. Jesus' name does not show up until two-thirds through this book. Yet on page one, we learn in a foreshadowed way that Jesus will be crucified and that he will rise again. This is God's plan. At a gut level, we all know that that matters, don't you? Like, at a gut level, you know that it is really important that Jesus rise from the dead and that be part of God's plan. Think about it for a minute. If, if the Savior is not risen, then the gospel is not good news. If Jesus is not alive, if the tomb is occupied, then Christianity offers you no hope. If Jesus had not been raised, if there is nothing beyond the grave, get this, life has little to no meaning. It really matters that Jesus be risen and that be according to God's plans. If death wins, then reality is wrong. I mean, it really is. Like, stop. I mean, I know this is like a little philosophical, but stop and think about it for a minute. Like, who wants to live in a world where death wins? Where, like, the end of the story is, is not a good ending. Like, there's no hope available. A few years ago, 
I was reading the Chronicles of Narnia with, with my kids. And um, Geneva, I think she was about six or seven at that time. And I'm going through, I'm reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I get to the part where Aslan, the Lion King of Narnia, the Christ figure in the Narnia books, offers himself up in the place of Edmund, the traitor. And so Aslan goes before the white witch, the epitome of evil in the books, and she is bad. And she takes this knife and she takes it above Aslan's heart and plunges it in. And then you read in the book, and Aslan died. And Geneva looks up over at me, you know, six or seven-year-old, and she's like, no, 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 wait, Daddy. You didn't read that right. That's not right. That's, Daddy, what did you say? Like, at a gut level, she was reacting to what we all know to be true. Like, right in your heart, you know, like, no, 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 Aslan can't be dead. Like, he can't die. He, he's the hero. He's the main character. He's, he's the one who rescues us all. Daddy, something is wrong with that. Well, I'd read the story several times before, and I was like, no, honey, he's dead. We'll just have to see what happens. He says that you're like the cruelest parent ever, perhaps. <laughs> so I think the next day we come back and, and we read it and we pick up in the next chapter, right? And, and it tells the story of how Asland, using the even deeper magic, comes back to life. Because if you give yourself willingly for a traitor, then you can't die. So he comes back to life, and I'm reading, and Geneva looks over at me, and she's like, I knew it! I knew it, Daddy! There, he had to come back to life. Aslan couldn't be dead, and don't you know it? Don't you know that death can't get the final word in this world? This world is too beautiful. Yes, it's broken, but this world is too wonderful and magical, dare I say, for death to get the final word, there is no way all of this existence doesn't mean anything. It's too intricate. It's too gorgeous. There's too much happiness and beauty and glory that we see all over the place for this life to be meaningless. And therefore, I am convinced not only biblically, but philosophically that Jesus rose from the dead. And that was always part of God's plan. Instinctively, we know that there is coming a day in the words of Tolkien when everything sad will come untrue. We know that that day is coming. Because you can't look at a little baby. You can't see the blushing bride come down the aisle. You can't look at the glorious sunrise and sunset and the moon and the stars and the greenness of the grass and the ocean and all the glory in this world and say, the hand of the designer who made that just means it to all end in decay and misery. Christ rose from the dead because this story has to end with a happy ending. It is too good. And he's a way better, he is a way better author than C.S. Lewis. He's better than J.K. Rowling. I love those stories. I love the arc of the story. But if they, if human beings can write a good story, how much more can the greatest author of all time give us the greatest plot twist of all time? in the greatest story of all time. The resurrection is the most significant event in human history and it matters because it means that everything sad will one day come untrue. Number three, the resurrection was an event of authority. 
after giving the disciples on the road to Emmaus a lesson in Bible interpretation, Jesus departs. Then a short time later, he shows back up again, appearing to a larger gathering of disciples. This time, there's a, there's a number of them, not just the two on the road to Emmaus. After they recover from the shock of seeing Jesus alive, he brings them up to speed. There's a lot of this bringing up to speed in Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You can almost hear the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus saying like, Hey guys, see, we told you. We told you he showed up and we told you what he told us about the Old Testament. We were right the whole time. Did you guys listen? Then he gives his disciples a job to do. Verse 46. Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending you the promise of my father upon you. Stop and think about this for a moment. Having done all that was necessary to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, Jesus now invites his disciples to be part of what he is about to do in the world. He's like, I have done what is necessary. I have secured what is necessary for the salvation of the ends of the earth. Now, your job is to go and be my witnesses to the very end of the world. Look, look, Jesus both saves and he sends. And in the years to come, that's exactly what happened. This ragtag group of ordinary men commissioned by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit would do what Jesus said. And according to the Bible, they would turn the world upside down. In a few decades, the disciples would build a global movement, taking the name of Jesus as far as modern day Italy, India, Russia, Ethiopia, and even as far as Great Britain. But this work came at great cost. Tradition tells us that the 12 disciples all suffered mightily because of taking their faith to the ends of the world. Peter was crucified upside down. James, the son of Zebedee, was executed by the sword. Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten with rods and then beheaded, I guess for good measure. James, the son of Alphaeus, was beaten, stoned, then clubbed to death. Thomas was run through with a spear. Philip was crucified. Matthew was killed with a spear. Thaddeus as well was crucified. What? I mean, why did they do it? Why did these men all leave Jerusalem and die martyrs' death throughout the world? Why did they willingly lay down their lives to tell other people about Jesus? I think the answer is simply this. An encounter with the risen Christ can completely change the trajectory of your life. When you come face to face with the risen Christ, it can change the trajectory of your whole life. Because Jesus was written, they had new priorities. Because Jesus was risen, they had new purpose. Because Jesus was risen, they had new direction. Because Jesus was risen, they formerly were fearful and now they were filled with courage. Because Jesus was risen, they had a job to do. Because Jesus was risen, they had a message to proclaim. For the disciples, the resurrection literally, quite literally changed everything about them. Here's the implication. People today are eagerly searching for purposeful work 
meaningful direction for their lives. And this is something that, that we should applaud. We should, we should say, yes, don't just live for money. Don't, don't just do the American dream and, and work the nine to five job. I get that idea. Yes, pursue meaning. Pursue purpose. But true significance cannot be found by simply following your passions, going after social good, or even giving back to the community. All these things are good and wonderful, and I think we should be about them. These are great things, but they are not the main thing. In Matthew's gospel, the same scene is recorded, and Matthew captured these words of Jesus. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, okay, there's a connection between that phrase and what comes after it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Think about it for a moment. Jesus had just risen from the dead. And because of this, because of his resurrection, he possessed all authority. And because he possessed all authority, he now said to his disciples, go, go into the world and make disciples. It is a can't miss proposition because you have been sent out by the one who possesses all authority. Let me use kind of a, a, a lesser example to hopefully catch my point here. Typically, in our entertainment craze society, there is an actor or two that if you put their name up on the marquee, right, that thing's going to make money. You know what I'm talking about? So right now, it's probably Dwayne Johnson. Like, if he's in a movie, it's going to be a moneymaker. For a while, it was Will Smith. Like, if Will Smith was in it, you know, big bucks. Uh, before that, I don't know, maybe Tom Cruise. You know, before that, I don't know, Robert De Niro. You know, so there, there's been some actors Throughout time, that if you get them to star in your movie, it's like, man, well, that's a hit. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad. It's just a hit because they're in it. Um, suppose Dwayne Johnson walks in here this morning and, and just grabs you like out in the foyer. Hey, glad to have you at Gospel Hope this morning. He's not a member, but let's just suppose he walks in, right? He's like, man, I've got a whole bunch of movies coming up, and uh, I just need like an extra. Um, would you be willing to be an extra in, in all of my next 10 movies that I have coming up? And if you do that for me, all you got to do is be on the screen for like 30 seconds. And if you do that for me, I'm going to give you 1% of the gross of the movie. Would you be willing to do that? You'd be a fool to say no, right? Because it's a can't-miss proposition. You're like, oh, this is Dwayne Johnson. All I got to do is show up and I can start cashing the checks because his name his popularity is going to mean that these things are successful. Would you want in on that deal? Yes. But here's the thing. Jesus says to us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I am king over everything. There is not an inch in this world that does not have mine all over it. I rule absolutely. I am the sovereign. I am the Lord. Even death itself has to bow its knee before me. I'd like you to play a small role in what I'm doing in the world. Who wants to sign up? Brothers and sisters, it is a can't miss proposition. The Lord is inviting you and I not to go build a well in Africa, as wonderful as that is. 
not to serve at a soccer league down the street, as great as that is, but he is inviting you into his global purpose of making disciples to all nations in all the world, from right across the street here in Atlanta to across the globe in the Ukraine. The Lord Jesus Christ, the sovereign over the grave and death and hell and the devil says, will you be part of what I'm doing in the world? I am inviting you to have truly meaningful work. I am inviting you to do something purposeful with your life and all authority has been given to me. Do you long for significance? How many of us would say no to that? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to change the world? Do you want your life to count for something? When you reach your deathbed, do you want your life to matter? If the answer is yes, then give yourself to the mission of the one who makes this promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus will get his work done. He will accomplish his task. The real question for us is, will we be involved in it? Man, if you want your life to matter, then hitch your wagon to the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. So you say, okay, Ryan, where does this leave us? Well, let me give you an illustration, then I'll give you a very, some practical illustration or practical applications, and I'll be done. When Calvin was um, just a baby, Calvin is my 14-year-old son, Trisha was actually pregnant with him, and um, I was playing basketball one day, and I landed on my wrist like this, you know, fell like this, and I broke a little tiny bone right down in here. They call it the snuff box. Well, it's just a tiny little hairline crack, but there's not much blood supply there, so, so this bad boy takes forever to heal. So I went to the doctor. First, they put a little, like, brace on it. And then they're like, you know, we're not sure that's going to get better. So I go back and they put a cast with my thumb in it, like up to here. And then they're like, you know, we're still not sure that's going to get better. So I go back and get this, this little teeny bone right here. I had a cast from here, you know, my first knuckles to my shoulder for eight weeks. That's a long time, by the way, for a cast. And I couldn't do nothing. I mean, I'm a pastor. I write sermons for a living. I couldn't type. I'm a father. I couldn't eat. <laughs> and Trisha had to cut my food up into little bites. I mean, there was just all kinds of things that I couldn't do. I couldn't get myself dressed properly because I couldn't get it on over my shoulder. My whole life was changed by my inability to do something because of a little teeny broken bone. And then, glory of glories, the day came. And, and they came and they took a little buzzsaw and, you know, cut that giant cast off. And I was like, okay, my arm hurt like the Dickens, but... In short order, my life was now renewed. Like there was new possibilities and new abilities that in some ways that I had forgotten. And it was my right hand, by the way. I couldn't even write. So everything was impacted when that cast fell off my arm. Man, I don't know where you are right now in your spiritual journey, but here's what I want to say. Jesus wants to take that cast off right now. I don't know what feels like it's cramping you and holding you back and making your life feel like it's not in the right place. The one, the one who rose from the dead wants to give you new power, new strength, new abilities. He wants to transform the way you live. He wants to remove the burden of your heart. And he came and he lived the life you should have lived. I know you've blown it, man. I have too. That's why I need Jesus to do what's right in my place. 
He died the death you should have died. I know you deserve God's judgment. I do too. Man, I have 10,000 times over displeased my Savior this morning. I need that forgiveness that comes from the cross. But I also need him to raise on the dead on my behalf because I am powerless in this life without him. I need that resurrection power in my life. And Jesus came to do all of that in your place if you will cast yourself on him even this morning. Remember what I told you at the beginning? I want the resurrection to matter to you. I want you to feel it in your heart that the resurrection matters to you. And I want to ask you to respond in two very simple ways. Right now, I'm going to ask our prayer team to make their way to the sides of the auditorium. And if you're like, Ryan, man, I need that new power in my life. I need that resurrection power to transform the way that I live. I need Christ to do that in my place. I don't even know where to begin, though. Man, there's some people standing by throughout the auditorium. We're going to sing in just a moment. They would love to talk to you about how you can know why the resurrection is so important. How you can know that you have a relationship with God and his power is flowing through your life and in your veins. Jesus wants to make you new and these folks want to help you talk about that this morning. So if that's you today, I don't know what place of sorrow or sin or brokenness that you are coming from. These folks would love to just take a few moments and pray with you and talk with you and encourage you in any way that they can. Second, you're saying, man, Ryan, this has been inspiring to me or it's challenged to me. I want to be involved in what God is doing in the world. I want my life to count. I want meaning. You know, one of the best ways you can do that is link arms with a band of brothers and sisters who would help you to do that. You know, the, the Christian life in one sense, it's a war and you don't fight a war all by yourself. You fight it with an army, right? You need people to come alongside you and help you. And we want to today give you an opportunity, if you're new to Gospel Hope, to kind of take the next steps. When you came in the back, right out in the foyer, there's a table and it says Connect Center. And there's really two ways that you can get connected with us even today. The first is this. It's called Gospel Hope 101. It's just like what it sounds. It's an introduction to this gathering, this body of believers. And it kind of tells you what, you what we believe and what we're all about. Pastor Rod and I will treat you to dinner over at my house. We'll talk to you about what's going on in the life of church. And we'll give you an opportunity just to interact with us and ask questions. So if you're like, man... I need to get back in church. Man, Gospel Hope 101 is for you. It's on May the 4th. That's a Saturday evening. And you can sign up right back at the Connect table. Maybe you live in our community and are like, man, yeah, that'd be great. But I also just need some people who will hold me accountable, who will challenge me, who will encourage me, who will help me study the Bible and pray for me. We have groups of people, we call them our community groups, that meet throughout the east side of the city. And if you would like to get plugged into one of those, man, they would love to have you. You'd be more than welcome. What happens at a typical community group is you get the word of God open. You pray for one another. At our group, we eat a lot, okay? So lots of good things happen where we say the church is not like a family. It is a family. And we want to treat one another just like that. We need our brothers and sisters to make it. So you can stop by the Connect Center for that. Man, so I want to encourage you very plainly. If you just need some prayer, these folks are standing by. They would love to pray for you. They would love to encourage you. And if you need to be connected with some brothers and sisters who would help you to walk out this Christian life or, or answer your questions, please stop by the Connect Center when we dismiss. Can we stand together as we worship the Lord and I'll pray for us, then we'll sing. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is risen. We thank you that the resurrection changes everything, that it deeply matters. 
And I pray that because of what Jesus has done today, 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 that lives would be changed, families would be impacted, marriages would be restored, brokenness would be healed, loneliness would be cured. Lord, I pray that because of the power available to us through Jesus Christ, that death itself would not even be our fear. Lord, we need you. We cry out to you. Would you continue to meet with us this morning? In the blessed name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Let's worship the Lord together.